Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Well, we are starting um, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Hopefully, um, you're joining in there with us. I don't know what kind of fast God would have spoken to you this week. Uh, Maybe this is the first time you're hearing of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's okay. Jump right in there with us. You know, just just get started. Get in the process and and, and be part of that. If you need more information about uh, what fasting is or different types of fasting, you can get last week's message and everything on our podcast, on Facebook, YouTube, all those places. It's all available. Today is day one, and we're going to be praying tonight, so come be a part of that. I believe this is going to be an amazing season. And as I was praying about this season and really the word that God gave me for this season and this year was this word health. And that, that's about was my reaction when the Lord gave me this word. I was like, I'm going to keep praying for another word. Doesn't sound very fun. Um, you know, health requires a lot of, a lot of adjustments, uh, uh, changes, a lot of uh, exercise and sacrifice. And it's like, Lord, is, surely there, there's something else you, you want to speak to me about this year. And it was just quiet for a while while I was praying. And I was like, okay, so health it is. <laughs> How many of y'all haven't God ever spoke to you that way? He gives you a word and you're like, let's try something else. And then he doesn't give you something else. He's like, let's go back to that. Well, praise the Lord. God is gracious and full of mercy for me and for all of us. And as we been, as I've been praying about that, okay, God, what does that mean? What, what do you want in that? What does health look like physically, personally, relationally, organizationally as a church and just what we're doing? I believe God wants us to be healthy so that we can have high impact. It's hard to be effective and have a high impact when there's no health, when things are broken or things aren't working right. Like in order to have a high level of impact, there also has to be an equal high level of health. And so I, I felt like God wanted us to, to begin to develop some spiritual health. And so as we started this year, I want to start a series called The Comeback. Look at your neighbor and say, The Comeback. The comeback is really about changing our perception of what we see to the reality of what God sees. It's changing our vision. See, we see it as a comeback, as if we're behind, as if we have to catch up, as if we're losing. But God doesn't see the comeback that way. He sees it as a performance of his word. He sees the comeback as a believer getting their thoughts and their words in alignment with his and seeing his word begin to work and come to pass in them. God sees the comeback as somebody putting their faith into action. Faith always has corresponding actions, right? And I believe this is a season of comeback. 
It's a season of coming back to victory in Christ. It's a season to come back to the good life, the life of faith. It's a season to come back to passion for being in the presence of God, passion for the Word of God. It's a season to come back to right relationship with those in the body of Christ. It's a season to come back to declaring the name of Jesus greater than anything else that we face. Come on. It's a season to come back. So we're going to talk about this, come back. So today I want to share a message that I'm calling set up for a comeback. It's important to know, like, we got to come back, but I believe there's a divine setup for the comeback. During the 1992-93 NFL season, I believe we got some clips they're going to put on the screen, the Buffalo Bills were one of the very best teams in the league that year. They were heading into the playoffs and were a favorite to win the Super Bowl. But the problem was their star quarterback was injured and out of the game. And in the very first round of the playoffs, uh, the Buffalo Bills found themselves down 35-3 to halfway through the third quarter. Um, for those that need the math, that's 32 points. They were behind uh, with uh, just a little bit of the game left to go. It was so bad, it was so bleak that many of the Bills fans during that third quarter began to leave the game. This thing is over. They were ready for a comeback. But then the Bills scored a touchdown, and then another touchdown, and then another touchdown. And in the matter of six minutes and 52 seconds, the Bills scored four touchdowns, and now we're only behind by four points. Come on, somebody. Anybody can say it's a comeback. I remember watching this game as a freshman in high school on my little black and white TV that my mom allowed me to have in the game, just cheering the bills on. Come on. It was so exciting to see how the energy changed in the stands, how the energy was changing uh, with the players, and, and it was a comeback that was taking place. The game would end up being tied at the end of regulation and go into overtime, and the Bills would win the game with a last-second field goal. They would win 41 to 38. It would be considered one of the most thrilling and biggest comebacks ever in NFL history. In fact, the game is just known as the comeback. The reality is even the best will face what looks like defeat at some point in their life. No matter how strong our faith is, no matter What's going on? There will be things in life that want to make us quit, that want to make us leave in the third quarter. This is too much. I'm going to throw in the towel. This isn't working. This isn't worth it. I am out. Sayonara. See you later. Hasta la vista, baby. You know what I like? There are things that we're going to face. And some of you are like, wow, I thought church was supposed to be positive. I'm like, I am positive that there will be things in life that just are no fun to go through, that are just rough situations, but just because you go through a rough season doesn't mean you need to pack it up and throw in the towel. Listen, tough times don't last, but tough people do. I don't know what you've been through in your life, but I know what I've been through. <laughs> I know I could, I could take you to the moments that I was ready to quit. God, this is too hard. 
I could take you to the moments where I was ready to throw in the towel and leave and pack up. You know, I mean, I remember when we first moved here, me and my wife, Pastor Heather, and our daughter Bella, and in that first season, even before we had ever had our first church service, and we were ready about three months into it. We were lonely, we were frustrated, and ready to go back, ready to throw in the towel. We're done, we're out. But I'll just tell you this, anytime you throw in the towel, anytime you are willing to quit and walk away, you will miss out on the good, the blessing that God has for you. Listen, the tough time ain't going to take you out. You're going to make it through. You have some, someone on your side. His name is God, and he's with you always. He's walking through anything. I love this comeback spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, what then shall we say in response to all these things? All these things that he's talking about are the bad days. The unfair circumstances, the bad way you were treated or whatever happened, the loss, the defeat, the disappointment, the anxiety. What are we going to say about all these things? If God is for us, what could be against us? What does it matter if something comes at me? God is on my side. So even if I lose everything, I'm going to make it through and be just fine. Come on, this is the comeback spirit. So let me just tell you, your story ain't over. I know it might look bleak. You might, might look like you're down by 32 points, but there's still time on the clock. But see, this is why our spiritual enemy, the devil, he works overtime to, to, to bring these thoughts to us, to bring these things into our heart to get us to give up. He tries, he tries to overwhelm us with the feeling, with the emotion, so that we get to the point where we give up on the thing that God has for us. All those fans who left in the third quarter, they missed out on the victorious moment that came had they stayed and pressed through to the end. Imagine if the players would have walked off that field. 32 points. Oh, well, I guess we won't get out. But did you know in that season, the Bills made it all the way to the Super Bowl and nearly won? They would have missed out on all those victorious moments if they would have just given up in that moment. And the same is true for us. That's why the devil works so hard to overwhelm your emotions so that you can't see past it, so that things don't make sense, so that in a moment of, of frustration and, and hurt that we'll make a decision that then we wouldn't have made had we been thinking clearly, had we been resting back and letting our spirit direct us. That's why I came with a word from heaven today. It's not time to quit. It's time to hold on. It's not over yet. It's time for a comeback. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's time for a comeback. Your heavenly father knows the outcome. That's why he's given you his word. That's why he's given you a manual, a strategy, a playbook so that you could learn the plays so that you could win the game. And that's why he's up and he's cheering us on right now. He's giving us everything we need. He's saying, come on, son, daughter, don't give up. You can do this. You're going to make it. I came to help you get back on your feet today. Get back in the game. I don't know, when was the last time you had a bad day? <laughs> Some of you are like, today. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Some of you are like, it was yesterday, last week, whatever it was. We all experience bad days. And I would just tell you, bad days can constrain you. Bad moments will try to crush you. Or they can propel you. They can move you forward as you overcome in strength, Right. Um, I, I don't know when that was for you, but I know this, is that bad days will always reveal the contents of our hearts and our thoughts. Always comes out in those moments, right? The things that are really in us, because we like to put on a nice front. We like to 
we, it's easy to say the right things, to have it look a certain way, but then when we're faced with something unexpected or we didn't ask what we didn't want or we're hurt or disappointed or whatever, what's really in us then comes out. That's what's so vital about being connected to the Spirit because when those things come out, the spiritually mature person can then be like, whoa, okay, God, that's really in there. Help me uproot this out of me. Help me to have healing through the pain. The spiritually immature person will just then continue to just continue to gush out, continue to rehearse the hurt. There's never healing. There's never forgiveness. There's, there's never relief. It's always offense. It's always down. It's never good. It's all of that because they refuse to bring that to God. It takes maturity to come to God and say, I need help. I need healing and restoration. I don't have it right. You do. But the immature person, because everything is self-focused, doesn't have the ability then to say, I don't have this right. In the hurt, they're saying, I am right, and that's why the hurt is so deep for them, right? But we're going to grow. It's time to come back out of hurt, back into your right standing with the Father. And so I want to look at a story in the Old Testament of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. That'll be our, our text for the day. This story for me in this passage of scripture is really, uh, uh, it's like a core memory in my life. It's like, a, it's like a, a cornerstone moment that God has brought me back to time and time again in bad days and throwing the towel, I want to give up moments that I believe in the story there are keys that set us up for a comeback. I call this story David's worst day. Uh, this story is about David, uh, the David that would become king, the David that killed Goliath. It's that David. He's the one in this story. And uh, just so we have a little background on the story so you know where we are in history, um, here's David as a teenager. He's watching his father's sheep out in the fields. And one day the prophet Samuel comes to his town, asks for David to come into his father's house. When David gets there, the prophet uh, uh, pours oil over his head and anoints him as the next king of Israel. The problem was that Israel already had a king. His name was Saul. So David, he just went back out into the fields and kept watching his father's sheep. One day he heard the voice of Goliath. He went out with a stone and a sling and killed Goliath and then chopped off the giant's head. Man, David in that moment is catapulted instantly into nationwide fame, becomes part of folklore culture. They're singing songs about him. Everywhere he goes, people know him. He's promoted to lead part of the army. The king takes notice of David and brings him into the palace to minister and work in the palace. The king allows David to marry the, his daughter, so now he's married to royalty. Like, man, this is David. Everything seems to be going right. But then all of a sudden the king is watching David and starts to hate David. His heart begins to change and uh, the spirit, the the, the, the the Saul would start to become, I call it mad. He'd begin to become crazy, lose his mind. He was a mad king, and he begins to uh, hate David so much that he begins to plot how to kill David, starts trying to throw spears at him. David runs for his life, leaves everything behind, is hiding in caves and mountains, and, and King Saul then sends the very best of the best of the army, says up to 3,000 men to hunt David down and kill him. That's a bad time. I mean, I've had some things happen in my life, but I've never had 3,000 trained assassins coming to kill me. <laughs> Can you imagine 3,000 Jason Bournes coming for you? <laughs> 
That's what was happening to David. David is living in caves with nothing on the run. This cave and one night, that cave, hiding on the other side of a mountain, hiding in this, in this uh, swamp and this area and all that, just for just trying to survive. And the king is trying to hunt him down. Eight years later, he's still on the run. And we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 29. Um, David has uh, accumulated some followers. In fact, it says 600 men that were destitute, outcasts, overlooked, underdogs. So if you fit into those categories, you're in good, good company. Come on. These 600 men and their families were following David. So now not only is David having to hide himself, but 600 men plus their family and all their possessions, they're constantly on the run. So David comes up with this idea, I'm going to go to my enemy and ask if they'll allow us to live in their land. So David goes to a king in an area called Gath. Look at your neighbor and say Gath. Interesting, Gath is the land where Goliath was from. Hmm. David goes to the king of Gath and says, will you allow me and my men to hide and live in your land? So the king of Gath gives David a town. He says, I'm going to give you the town of Ziklag. That's a fun name to say, isn't it? Ziklag. He says, you, can, you and your men, this town is yours now. You can live there. You rule it. You protect it. All that kind of stuff. It's yours. So David and his men lived in this town. And then there's a, a big battle brewing between King Saul and the Israelites and the Philistines, right? And so the Philistines take their armies out to go fight against the Israelites and the king of Gath comes to David and says, David, since I gave you this town, I want you to come and join uh, forces with my army and fight against Israel uh, and be part of our army. So David goes out with the Philistines and as they're approaching the battle lines, the other Philistine commanders look at me like, who is this kid coming to fight with us? He don't belong here. Um, uh, he needs to leave. We don't trust him. What if he turns on us in the battle and starts to fight against us with the Israelites? He needs to leave. So David is sent home by his frenemies. He's been rejected by his own king. Um, he's been on the run, and, and he's got to now take his 600 men back on a 50-mile, three-day walk back to their home at Ziklag. This is shaping up to be a bad day. Let me hear you say, this is a bad day. Yeah, we pick up the story at this point. David has been rejected by all these people. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. So they made the journey back of the 50 miles. It took them three days. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. This is a terrible, no good, nothing's going right, bad kind of day. You know, like, I don't know about you, but I've never had this experience happen in my life. I've had some bad days, but nothing like this. Imagine the scene, right? David and his 600 legendary mighty warriors as they're approaching where their town should be. Instead of seeing the town and hearing the sounds of children and all that stuff, they see smoke on the horizon. And as they get closer, this ensuing sense of panic begins to build because they see less and less of their town and instead burning 
uh, buildings and, and ashes and everything missing, and it's just silence, and all you hear is the sound of flame and burn things, right? Like, this is a no good situation. Life can really throw you some curves sometimes. What do you do when life throw you, throws you some curves? Sometimes you see it coming. Sometimes it's the things you don't see coming. Look at verse 4. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. That's a crazy thought to think about. That they wept. These mighty warriors of David. They were called David's mighty men. They were weeping so hard, crying so much that their bodies physically ran out of tears. They physically had no strength to even stand in their body. They're such a deep level of anguish that they're going through in this bad day. David was the same. He lost his family. He lost his wives and his children. Everything he had had been taken. His king had rejected him. His, the enemy king he had found shelter in had rejected him. This <laughs> this is sounding like a bad country song, you know. Do you know what you get if you play a country song backwards? I'm from Oklahoma, so I can say this joke. You get your car, you get your dog back, you get your wife back, and you get your truck back. <laughs> these mighty men, uh, I, when, when you look at it, these these. Their, their exploits, some of them are recorded in Scripture. It says, one of these mighty men that were weeping until they had no strength killed 800 men by himself. Another uh, killed 300 with a spear. Uh, another one of these mighty men, it says, he went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion with his bare hands. Another three of these mighty men fought an entire outpost of troops just to fetch David a cup of water from a well. That's the ex the exploits of some of these mighty men. And here they are, broken, anguished to the core, weeping, strong men who had seen their families destroyed, their homes broken, their children missing. I'm sure they were tired from the battle, but now they're in this vulnerable place where everything seems wrong, everything is is lost, and I believe this is one of the ploys of our spiritual enemy, the devil, to make strong men and women weak. To get us to the point where we're exhausted, where something inside of us breaks. Because it's in that place where we're overly exhausted, where we've we spent what we had, and, and inside, something inside of us. See, that's where people make decisions and get hooked on something that they never thought they would be when they're overly tired and something inside of them is just like they're just not there. They're just tired. Something is broke, and then uh, they get stuck in a trap they never thought it they would be in. People get addicted on drugs and they never thought they would be, or, or uh, addicted to alcohol or in a relationship or addicted to pornography or, or whatever it is in a moment where we're overly tired, where we're maxed out, where we're spent to the core, where we've allowed anguish to set in so much that something breaks us. Like, we've got to be alert because it's those moments I believe this, our, the devil loves to bring deception in, loves to cloud our vision in those moments. Make no mistake, he, the devil will look for moments when you're physically or emotionally tired and try to catch you with your spiritual guard down. Come on, church, we've got to keep our guard up. That's why it's so important to come daily into the presence of God. So the question then becomes, what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? 
What do we do on a no good, terrible, bad kind of day? What do we do in this moment when we feel anguish to the core, where life is trying to break us? I think it's a good place to point out that David and his men says they wept out loud. Many people in this day and time are trying, <laughs> would try to say, well, you know, especially when you talk about being a man, well, you, you, know, you got to suck it up, buttercup. You know, you got to be strong for everybody else. You got to keep it together. Well, I don't believe that's very spiritual at all. I don't believe that's the way God made us. Here we have some of the mightiest warriors of all time. I mean, these dudes would have had muscles popping out everywhere. They would have had glorious man beers and like this manly musk about them, you know. Like these dudes were the real deal. Manly men, if there ever was a man, these dudes were it. And yet here they are weeping. There's something about it. See, God made you with emotion. God made you with feeling. He didn't make you to fake it till you make it. He didn't make you to live, you know, in, in false strength, which is pride. I don't need anybody. I'm good. I'm good. I like, no, we need each other. There's moments where we need to cry out to God. There's moments where we need to release those things because if you don't release that stuff, it is just a toxic thing that stays inside of you. And if you have something toxic inside of your body, what will happen? It will bring disease and death to a body. We've got to get the toxic things out of us. And so I believe it's not a lack of faith to express in a moment to show feelings disappointment or discouragement or, or feeling confused. God, why did this happen? God, I, I, thought, I thought this would happen. Where were you in this? God, God, I'm feeling this way. The problem is, I think, that most people fall into, one of the problems is that when we feel a way, instead of taking it to God and expressing it there, we take it to other people who have no ability to bring healing to us. See, that's the thing is that when we express, when, when we go through the hard day, what are we looking for? When you feel overwhelmed and disappointed, are you just looking for other people to justify how you feel? Are you looking for the pat on the shoulder or the pat on the back? Or are you looking for God to bring restoration and healing? The two don't co coexist. You can't even pursue both. If you're going to pursue it from people, that's what you're going to get. And it's going to be very short-lived and not satisfy and actually bring more hurt and more disappointment. But when you seek it from God, then in a moment there will be healing and restoration and purpose and vision for what God has ahead of you. It's not a lack of faith to have the feelings to express it in a moment. We are human. One of the things I love is that it says in Hebrews 7 that Jesus came in our frailty, in our humanness, to experience everything that we feel so that when we come to him, he would relate perfectly to us. So when we bring our disappointment to him, he's like, I know, I've been disappointed. When you've been betrayed by a family member or someone you thought would be there for you, you'd be like, I know, Judas. Come on. Like, whatever it is, he's experienced it. He can relate to it. So I believe it's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to feel like, man, this hurts. This isn't right. It's okay to feel for a moment or two like, I need to catch my breath. I need healing. But listen, here's the other place people get stuck is that so many people then build their house in that place. This is where I'm going to stay. Like your feelings were never meant to be um, the place where you live. It was never meant to be a long-term thing. That's why in a moment you'll feel happy, and then the next moment you'll feel hungry. 
and then the next moment you'll feel you want tacos, and then you get to the taco store, and you're like, I don't want tacos. I don't feel like that anymore. Because your feelings were never meant to be a permanent destination. Your feelings are simply an indicator of what's going on in the inside of you. It's much like the fuel gauge in your car. Anybody drive a car? You all got that one gauge on there. It goes like this all the time. And it's, it tells you how much fuel is left in your car. The interesting thing is that fuel gauge will only move one way or the other way. And it seems like it's always moving the wrong way. <laughs> it's always like the gas is always being used up faster than it's being filled in, you know. And, uh, but that fuel gauge will just tell you how much gas is in there. What happens when that fuel gauge gets too far over to the left? A little light comes on that says, hey, you're almost out of gas. Anybody ever seen that fuel light? I've seen it a few too many times. Um, when that fuel light is on, lights up on your indicator, it, it's not saying that that fuel light is not telling you, well, your car is no good anymore. Almost nobody in this room, if we let our fuel get that low to where the, the indicator light comes on, almost none of us would get out of it, close the door, throw the keys on and be like, well, I guess it's done. Guess we need a new one. I'm never driving a car again. What would we do? We go to the gas station and fill it back up. It's still a car. It still will drive. It just needs to be filled back up again. It's just an indicator that my fuel is running low. That's your feelings are an indicator that, hey, I need to get back in the presence of God. God, I need you to fill me up again. Sometimes that's every hour. Sometimes that's every day. Whatever it is, your feelings are just an indicator that something's going on that I need to get in God's presence with. When my gas is low, I can go to somebody else and be like, can you believe this car? It's out of gas. See, the amount of gas in the gas tank does not determine the potential of the car. The car will go. The car was made to go. The car can travel hundreds of thousands of miles. The car can do amazing things. But the, it's got to have fuel in it. And I would tell you the same thing. Your feelings do not determine the value of your life. Your feelings do not determine if you are okay or if you are going to make it. Your feelings are just an indicator that it's time to get back in God's presence and get fueled up again. Your feelings do not determine what you are capable of or what God has called you to do or where your life should be planted. we got to stop letting our feelings tell us. You know, like so many people let their feelings drive them from a place that, that God planted them. And I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they're like, Pastor, I'm so thankful for this church. God brought us here and our lives are just different and God is speaking in our kids and we've never seen anything. And then in a moment where they feel a certain way, oh, I'm never going to church again. Listen, your feelings don't determine those things. They will change if you bring them back into the presence of God. They will change in the right way. They will change the other way if you continue to stay in that place. Come on. David and his men are lifting up their voices too often. Listen, don't stay in a place for a lifetime that was meant to be for a moment. All right, I've got to continue on. Proverbs 24, 16 says it this way. The righteous falls, will fall seven times, but they will rise again. The wicked will stumble when calamity strikes. Come on, but the righteous rise again. It's time for a comeback. It's time to rise up. 
It's not to live in denial. It's just to live with a different perspective of what we experience in this life. That, you know, like the issues that I go through, they affect me, they're real. The things that I face, they're real, but they do not rule me. The things that I go through might cause me to pause and weep for a moment, but they will not stop me from getting back up and advancing in my purpose. I might be knocked down for a moment, but I am not knocked out, and I will get back up, and I will keep fighting for what God has called me to do. Come on, it's time for a comeback. David is in this bad day. <laughs> Things are not going right, and it gets worse. <laughs> Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men who were with him, the 600 men, were talking of stoning him. This is not the 70s kind. Okay, this is the kind, this is not a party. This is the kind where they pick up rocks and throw it at a person until they die. That's what stoning here is talking about. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. Yeah, I'm sure David was distressed. <laughs> like, that's probably an understatement. Discouraged, distressed. He was probably freaked out. He's used to running for his life. And so he's like, all right, you guys want to kill him? No, we're out of here. I'm sure he was freaked out. This is a bad day. Now his men are turning on him. And I would just be say, be careful how close you let bitter and offended people near you because eventually they will become bitter and offended at you too. Amen. Ever wanted to give up? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Ever wanted to give up on your marriage? It's too hard. This ain't worth it. You give up on your job. Ever wanted to give up on your purity? Ever wanted to give up on your freedom that you worked so hard to be free of that addiction? And you're in a moment of, I'm done. I no. What do we do when everything around us makes us want to quit? I, quit? I believe what David did next was a setup for a comeback. And today it serves as our example. See, the setup for the comeback, it's not based on the scoreboard. It's not based on somebody saying you're behind or this feeling that you've got to somehow make up for some deficiency or some problem that's just going to set you back. No, the setup for a comeback happens long before any bad day gets here, deep in the heart of every believer. It's found in our motives. It's found in our characteristics of a person. And it's forged deep in the heart of us, in the presence of God. When we say, God, have your way in me. I cannot make it without you. I need you to work in my life. It's shaped in us in a moment of surrender and breaking before the Father. And so I want to give us these four characteristics in this story today that set us up for a comeback to be forged in us. If you're taking notes, hopefully you write these down. The first one is this. The setup for a comeback starts when we show humility. Set up for a comeback always starts with humility. So you remember verse 6, the 600 men were ready to stone David. The verse doesn't end there. The second half of the verse says this, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Let me read that one more time. Life is falling apart. People want to kill him. It's a no good, terrible, bad day. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I wonder today, what do you find strength in? <laughs> what are you finding strength in? At his lowest point, David didn't get mad at God. He didn't run away from God. He didn't run and uh, tell everybody about how uh, God was unfair to him. He didn't try to just have good vibes only. No, David humbled himself enough to allow God right in the midst of whatever he was going through. It takes humility to allow God 
to, to, to invite God in the middle. See, God could force his way in, but he doesn't. That's not who he is. God gives us the opportunity. He says, if you let me in, I'll be there with everything I got. But you've got to invite me in. You've got to allow me in. Revelations 3, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would open the door, I will come in. Like we've got to open the door. We've got to have some humility about us. And I know culture tells us the opposite. You know, you put on a happy face, fake it till you make it, but that's just pride, masquerade as false humility. Uh, what looks like a lack of strength to us is actually strength through humility before God. So the question is, what is our reaction when things don't go our way? When we didn't get the answer, the explanation we wanted. Is it pride? I've got to be strong. I'm going to do this my way. I, got, I can handle this. Or is it humility? See, the power in humility is not about the surface level. Humility is shown from the depths of a person. It's where that person has allowed God to root some things out of us that have tried to take root. To say, God, I like, shape me to who you want me to be. I don't know the answer to this. And even if I did, you have a better answer. I might have my thoughts and my plans about a thing, but God, they're nothing compared to you have. So I'll set my plans aside. Guide me how you want. It takes humility before God. But I would just say in this season of prayer and fasting, it's a setup for humility. To come before God on a regular basis. To set some things aside. God, do a deep work in us. That's my prayer for you in the season. That you would allow God to do a deep work in you. Don't resist it. Allow him in. Why? This is such a big deal to God. Let me show you this in Scripture. James chapter 4. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I would say it this way. It's impossible to draw near to God without humility. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we show humility before God? It's a great question. Thanks for asking. The answer is in the next verse. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So humility is shown then when we submit. When you look in the dictionary, the word submit, it means to give authority or control of oneself to another. So when we submit to God, we're giving him control or authority of ourselves to him. The opposite of, of, of humility would then be pride. So if, if humility is shown through submission or giving control of ourselves to God, then pride would be keeping the control. Keeping and holding on to everything. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be near anyone or anything that is resistant to God. I just don't. I'm just at the point in my life where I want what God wants more than I want anything else. And I don't mean to hurt or offend anybody but man I'm just I'm just like I just I'm just gonna uproot whatever needs to be uprooted so that I can be pleasing to God so that I can be live my life in submission to God will I get it right 100% no none of us will it's not about that he, he doesn't say submit and be perfect no he just says stay in a place of submission stay in this place where I'm submitted to God pride then would lift us up and say I can God I'll let you know when I need your input Look what Proverbs eleven twelve says about pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So if we kind of read this backwards, wisdom will come through humility, but disgrace will come through pride. So if you have some areas in your life where you feel disgrace or 
where you feel a little shame, you feel disappointed, it could be there's some pride there that needs to be uprooted. Do you have some place where you need wisdom, where wisdom is lacking, where you don't know what to do? It could be there's a root of pride there. That humility needs to be planted so it can be springing up. And if you think you don't have pride, well, you do. (laughs) Right? It's easy to see in others, hard to see in us. The setup for a comeback starts when a person is willing to show humility before God. So back in our story, David gets before God, finds strength in God. He begins to ask God, God, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Should I? And God says, I want you to pursue your enemy. Go after them. And God gives him this promise. You will recover everything. So David gets up and he says, all right, guys, I know things look bad. Uh, put, those, put those rocks down, put those stones down. We're going to pursue our enemies. God spoke to me and he said, we will recover everything, so let's go. Come on, who's like, he's like, let's go, guys. And so uh, as they're getting ready to go and pursue their enemy, 200 or one-third of his men come and say, David, that's a really good plan. We are too tired. We are too wiped out to be able to go. So David says, it's all right. You 200 stay here at Ziklag with our supplies Guard the supplies. We're going to go out and fight with the mighty men. Here's the second characteristic that sets us up for a comeback is to show some fight. If you're going to come back, you need to show some fight. Look at verse 17. David fought them, his enemy, from dusk until the evening of the next day. That's a long battle, 24-hour battle. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. That's a funny mental picture if you've ever pictured it. I don't know. There's so much humor in the Bible if you read it that way. Can you just see like 400 bad guys riding off on camels, running for, on camels riding for their lives? It's funny. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> David and his men, they're at the lowest point of their lives. But now there's a battle. There's a battle to be fought for the futures of their families for future generations. So what did they do? They fought for it. The setup for a comeback when they had lost everything was to fight. I would even go a step further. We've got to fight the right fight. If they would have gone and fought some other enemy or some other city or somebody else than the Amalekites, they still wouldn't have come back. They still wouldn't have got their families back. They still would have lost everything. We've got to fight the right fight. You need some fight about you. You need some gumption. You need some stick to We need some Christians who've got some, some ability to stand in a fight and be like, I don't want to be in a spiritual battle, but I'm in it and I'm going to fight. Did you know there's a fight for your family? There's a fight for this generation. And we got to wake up, people. Maybe it steps on your toes to say that YouTube isn't in it to raise your children in a godly way. Neither is Disney or Netflix or Hulu or whatever other gaming platform or public schools. Like, I love them, but you've just, we've got to wake up to the reality of the times that we're living in. Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means the problem, the enemy, is not other people. The enemy, the problem is not the other political party. The enemy is not your spouse. It's not your coworker. It's not your boss. It's not the church. It's not a, a leader. That's not the enemy. That's the wrong fight. 
We don't struggle or fight against flesh and blood, but our fight is against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So this is not to be sci-fi. This is not the Twilight Zone. Nothing. This is just Paul explaining the reality of the spiritual world we live in all the time and the battle that's taking place that too often we close our eyes to, not realizing that the devil will do anything to destroy a generation. We've got to wake up and realize. Come on, parents. You've got to fight for your families, and you've got to fight the right fight. The problem is El Diablo, is the devil, Satan, spiritual forces of evil. It's like that's the problem, and, and we've got we've to get to the place as, as Christians. Come on, sometimes we just need to stop, and I need you to just like, Put your pen down for a minute and your tablet and just look me in the eyes so we're like on the same page, right? Like, listen, we've got to grow as believers where we get to the point where we don't fall for this deception that people around us are the problem. There w- and yes, I, I know, there will be moments where some person or some leader does something on purpose, spitefully, to harm another person. I've experienced that in my own life. I've just found that most of the time it's not the case. Most of the time it's imperfect people not getting it right all the time. (coughs) Spoiler alert, that's you too. The problem is that we've been fighting the wrong fight. And our fight is not to defeat the devil. He's defeated. Jesus said, behold, I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The devil ain't got keys to his own house. He's got to ask Jesus permission if he can get in his house. The devil is defeated. Our fight is not to defeat the devil. Our fight is to enforce the authority and the victory that Jesus has given us as his sons and his daughters. That's the fight. Our fight is to keep our minds renewed according to the word of God. Our fight is to raise up a generation behind us to walk in the authority of God's word and what he has for us. This is the fight we need to have. We cannot afford to be fighting one another and lose a generation. You know, if we do this thing, right, called church, we're just the leaders and the people in it now. If we do this right the next pastor, the next worship leader, the next leaders and and pioneers of the church are in the cafeteria right now where we call Victory Kids. But it only happens, it only happens if we set our lives up and set our families up for a comeback, if we're willing to fight the right fight. Look what happens when they begin to fight the right fight. Verse 18, David recovered everything. David recovered everything. I came with a message from heaven for somebody today. God wants you to recover everything. He had recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Listen, that's Old Testament, y'all. Don't get distracted. That's a different sermon. Don't go out and get another wife. Different, different message. No. <laughs> 
Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Come on, that is a fourth quarter comeback. Here's the next characteristic that set this up for a comeback. Readily show grace. We're going to have to readily show grace. What is grace? People say a lot of different things about grace. Grace is not you can act however you want because grace will cover you. No, grace is unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift, right? David and his men, they go out, they defeat their enemy. Remember, 200 stayed home, 400 went and fought the battle. They brought everything back and more. Now they're coming back with all of the stuff, with all of the people, and they get close to Ziklag, and the 200 men who are protecting the stuff see them coming, and all of a sudden, is that, is that my boy? Is that my, is that my wife? Can you imagine the celebration in this moment? People running and hugging and, and crying and shouting and the joy that was felt in that moment that's going on. Man, what a scene that had to be. But then verse 22. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers, you know, there's, there's always some of those. In every church, there's some of those. In every family, there's some of those. Make sure it's not you. All the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we're not going to share any of the the benefits with them. They're not going to get any of the plunder that we recovered. However, take your family and go. That is the world we live in, in a graceless cancel culture. If you don't agree with me, goodbye. It's a stub-your-toe Christianity world that we live in. Oh, you said something I didn't like, and so now I'm just mad at you, and you hate me, and I hate you. It's a graceless world we live in. We cannot afford to be a graceless people. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. Uh, You did not deserve grace from God. I did not either. It's an undeserved gift we've been given by God. So how dare we do something different with what God gave us? He says, you should not do that with what God has given you. He has protected us, delivered into our hands a raiding party that came against us. In other words, the comeback wasn't really us. It was God's power through us. Who will listen to what you say? In other words, guys, our credibility is at stake here. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies will be the same as him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. In other words, it's grace. How quickly we can get our eyes off of how good God has been to us, uh, off of the real source of blessing, off of the real source of peace, off of the real source of joy in our life. It happened with these guys. It can surely happen with us. Well, we fought the battle. They didn't really do it. I don't know about, they don't deserve this. Why they get that blessing and not me? So, you know, whatever. Like, no, how do we get ourselves set up for a comeback? It looks like readily showing grace to others. I can't think of a greater time in my own lifetime than what our world needs right now is people of grace. People of grace. We have a world full of people showing everything else. Contempt, jealousy, gossip, division, brokenness, hate, everything else. The world needs a church full of people of grace. Grace is a gift that enables us to stretch beyond our natural means. What does that mean? Grace allows us to forgive the unforgivable. Grace allows us to love those who will curse us who will try to destroy us, 
who will try to destroy the thing you've given your life to build. Grace is not a doormat. It doesn't mean you just take it all and just like, just lay it on me. No, grace is not mean that you stay where you're being abused or hurt on purpose. Like, that's not grace. That's something else. Grace just is a, is a supernatural thing that God gives you that allows you to go beyond your natural ability. See, in my natural ability, when somebody hurts me, what do we want to do? Oh, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you know. We're going to have we're going to have words. Uh, we're, there's there's going to be some there's I'm, I'm going to get back at you. Right. That's a lack of grace. Grace allows me in that place uh, instead of just reacting in my natural instinct and ability. Now I have a supernatural ability that I didn't have without the grace then to express the love of God that's been poured out of my heart. That's what grace does. It allows me to stretch beyond what's naturally in my own ability. See, when I extend grace to somebody, it's a springboard. One of the things that we say here at Victory, we have, a, we have our vision. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus, connect them to their purpose. We have our mission. How do we accomplish that? Well, we do that by helping people know God, want to help people find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We have a, a third part of, of our vision at the church that we call our leadership behavioral values. In other words, how are we going to behave while we accomplish our purpose? One of those is where we talk about this whole idea that I will believe the best in others. I will believe that others have good intentions. And let me tell you, that's nice to say. <laughs> it's nice to put on a piece of paper. But then comes the moment when you're at home with your spouse, you know, behind closed doors. And did you know blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Anybody been there before? It's just me and my family. Okay. There's that moment where you got to zip the lip and believe the best in others. What happens is we let our imagination run away with us. And when our imagination runs away, it creates what's called vain imaginations. Things that aren't really real, but we play out the situation. Well, they're probably saying this, and they probably did this, and they're probably doing this because they probably feel this way about well, whatever it is, and we don't even know. Can I just tell you they're not thinking about you as much as you think they are? But we let our imaginations run away with us, and it replaces where grace was. Sometimes we just need to, as the Bible says, cast down some vain imaginations, allow grace to rise up. And uh, like there's moments where I have to literally stop myself mid-sentence. I will believe the best in this person. Father, forgive me for what I believed a moment ago. I choose to believe the best in this person. Like it's just, this is the walk of faith. This is the walk of grace. I can extend grace to another person because it was extended to me. Let me show you in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. So <laughs> your salvation, your fire insurance was not something you earned. It's by the grace, an unmerited favor God showed you, an undeserved gift God gave you to even be saved was grace. It is through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Because we've been shown so much grace, we must live as people of grace, even in a graceless world. We're talking about characteristics that set us up for a comeback. Number one, show humility. 
Two, we need to show some fight. Three, we need to readily show grace. Here's the last one today. If we're going to come back, we need to continually show honor. Honor has been lost in our culture today. But I believe that God is calling us, the church, and even specifically here at Victory Orlando Church, to be people who choose to honor. The people that live a lifestyle of honor. See, when we continually show honor, it invites the blessing of God. It sets us up for a comeback. Verse 26 of our story. This is still 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 26. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, here's a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. This is weird. Why would he do this? They didn't earn that. David also sent it to those who were in, I'm going to try to say these names right, Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those in Aror, to those in Simhoth, and, and Eshtemoa, and Rechal, to those in the towns of the Jeremehalites, and the Kenites, and those in Horma, and Borashkan, and Athak, and those in Hebron, and to all those in other places where he and his men had roamed. See, over those eight years, David had been traveling from place to place to place to place, taking shelter, hiding, putting others at risk, to find safety. And here, in a moment of victory, David is not spiking the ball in the end zone. Yeah, baby! We won this! Let's go! No, his spike in the end zone is to honor other people who helped him along the way. <laughs> his, his victory moment is to give out of himself to lift somebody else up. They, they didn't do anything to earn that. And David is showing honor to those have been with them. See, honor is not about agreement. I don't have to agree with you to honor you. Honor is more about the contents and the condition of my heart than it is about the other person or the situation. Honor is about what's happening inside of me. Jesus didn't agree with the, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but I think we could all agree he was always honoring. David didn't agree with King Saul, but he always honored the king. Moses didn't agree with Pharaoh, but he was always honoring to Pharaoh. See, anytime you find someone whose life was greatly used by God, greatly blessed by God, you'll find a person of honor. Honor is about lifting others up. It's not about agreement. Honor is about protecting those who God has put in our lives. Honor is about refusing to be okay with others who dishonor. Honor Honor is part of the currency of the kingdom of God. See, it's just that many people would rather honor their opinions. Too often we want to honor our feelings or our right to be heard. I lived much of my life in that place of if they don't do what I said, then they didn't hear me. As if, as if somebody else doing, taking my idea had any value in my life. We honor so many things, but God tells us to honor other people. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We're so good at honoring ourselves, aren't we? You know, if you don't believe me, look at how many selfies you take. Self-love. Honor me. It's, it goes back to the pride of Lucifer, his heart was lifted up. I will be praised. 
I will be glorified. See how good I am. See how I got it together. Look at me. And I wonder, when was the last time we outdid someone else in honoring others? As we finish the story today, it moves into the next chapter, 1 Samuel 31. And King Saul leads the Israelites and the army into the battle against the Philistines, the same battle that David was supposed to be fighting in with the Philistines, but they told him to go back home. That battle takes place, and tragically during this battle, the Israelites are defeated, and King Saul is killed in the battle. David doesn't gloat. In fact, somebody came encouraging David to gloat, and he's like, we're not going to act that way. David mourned over the king. He honored the king who had dishonored and tried to kill him. See, honor is not about what the other person did or said or about anything other than what's in me, what God is doing in me. I can honor no matter what. And it was in this place after the time of mourning had ended that all the people of Israel rise up and make David the king. I just wonder sometimes if David had fought in the battle with the Philistines, dishonored his people, dishonored the king, fighting against them, fighting the wrong battle, had, would there have been a comeback? Probably not. Would he have been made king? I don't know, but he could have missed out because it was this setup for a comeback. See, we call it David's worst day. But God didn't see it as defeat. God didn't see it as, oh, David's behind. We got to get him back to where he was. God saw it as I need to set David up for a comeback to the kingship. See, had David been doing other things, he would have missed his comeback moment to step into his destiny. David would have given up. He would have missed out if he would have been fighting the wrong battle. He would have missed out if he wouldn't have shown grace. Then the people that he showed the grace to wouldn't have come and made him their king. And if he would have dishonored the king, he probably would have missed his assignment. See, we see it as a bad day. We see it as a loss. We see it as a defeat or a deceived deficiency. But God just sees it as those who are willing to step into the middle of the pain, into the middle of the heart and say, God, I will let you do a deep work in me to bring me up to the place you have for me so I can walk in power. Come on, let's get to our feet today. I believe God wants to stir up something in us that maybe he's even already begun to be stirring in you if you're here today. And, and just in a moment of, of just boldness, of, of just crazy faith, you sense God moving in your heart. Maybe you're the one you recognize, yeah, I need to come back. Maybe it's one of these areas we've been talking about today. You've been fighting the wrong fight. Maybe you've been proud in some area. Just the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. There's this area of pride. Let's uproot this thing. Maybe for you, it's you haven't been a very graceful person. Or maybe you've been participating in dishonor and God just brought you here today to say, son, daughter, come on. I want to set you up for a comeback. I want you to rise up to the place that I have for you to walk in authority through Christ so that you can be in, uh, walk in the power of the anointing. Your life is not off track, but you just need to get filled up again. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.